What's are you? On? What's going on with that? Yeah, nothing. It said uh, it said you can answer this call, but your other call we put on hold, or you can merge calls. And I didn't know what to do. Oh, do you think the other one was me too? It totally was. Oh, huh. Should we, should we uh, do a conference call? We're doing it now. Okay. Oh, I sent you an image. You did. I looked at this image and I had to do the thing that I'm sure that you have uh, just now started to do, which is try to pick out which one of the per- people in this picture is your <laughs> wife and which one is your child. Yeah, there's a little bit of Peter Jackson going on here where my kid is actually the same height as my wife. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's all like trying to figure out which. And then I just went for the hair color. I'm like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I just thought this was kind of funny. Uh, I'll send you another funny one. Now, this is not accurate. This is actually inaccurate. The Major Kit app got this wrong, but I really like this photo because my daughter looks very cyber. What does your daughter call that thing that your wife is holding? I'm going to tell you about that in a second. That's, that's the bit. The bit, <laughs> mm-hmm. the bit is that. All right. Major Kit uh, thinks she's a little short because she's trying to figure out if she's, uh, how tall she is compared to Charlie Day. And I think they're roughly the same size. Uh, Centimeters. At, what is this? I, I haven't used it in a while. Probably reverted to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, you know me, I'm a preparer. Mm-hmm. Well, not for this program, but in life, you know, give me a heads up and I, and I can give you infrastructure things to make your life better. When my family goes anywhere, I like to make sure they have a, a fully charged battery and a, the right cables, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Well, I, I knew that uh, tonight, given that you and I are doing our program, they said, oh, let's go do something fun. And there's this really cool thing they've been doing for a while. This might have, I think this might have preexisted corn, uh, but um, at this place called Fort Mason, you know, up, up northeast of here, they do a thing called uh, Fort Mason Flicks. And it's basically a drive-in movie. So you, you go to the drive-in movie, you park your car, and in this case now you have to stay in your car and you bring your own snacks and that kind of stuff, which is fine because these are champion snackers title. And... Um, and so uh, they're going to see a movie tonight. And uh, they went to see uh, the John Hughes movie, Pretty in Pink. And Problematic. Nope. Not like the other one. Mm, yeah, I guess everything's relative, but still. I mean, 16 Candles is 16 canceled. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Did you get that? I know you I love wordplay. I'm, I'm with you. That's a shame. That's a very funny movie. <laughs> Remember when he says, Dong, where's my automobile? Remember when he says that? And then Dong oh. says, Dong says automobile. Except he doesn't. <laughs> funny voice so they're going to see pretty in pink and, and like right before they're about to head out uh this afternoon um they're, they're like do we have a boom box and you know I f- who said that who said that to you oh my uh, my lady friend okay all right oh, i'm sorry Let, let's get to your point uh so you don't spoil my joke but my my, my wife is holding a boom box that's what, what we would call a boom box. well my wife is roughly my age Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. We, as in the adults. Are you trying to avoid jam blaster? <laughs> I don't know what kids call it, but whenever I call it a boombox, I really? get ridiculed by my children. Automobile. It's not as funny mm-hmm. if you don't do the voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, like like I say, you know, I'm I'm one of the uh, I guess technically the co COO of the household, and and so I get a text from my wife, and she says to me, she says, uh, "Hey, have have we got a have we got a boombox?" And I freeze like you do, right? It's one of those things where like if somebody asks you something that you've known forever and have recalled recently and then like 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 me not being able to remember that Charlene Tilton is the woman from Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go, uh, uh, yeah, uh, we do. In my mind now I'm scanning, scanning, scanning. The, the terminal Terminator heads up display is going. 
And I'm like, well, you know, I got the Panasonic uh, John Darnielle boombox I got on eBay. Um, and then I'm like, and I had forgotten, you know, we got these Bluetooth speakers that we bought to play in the backyard, these rugged, ruggedized. And then I was like, you know, we have a boombox, I think. I know we had a boombox and I might have purged it because we have not used it in probably almost a decade. Now, anybody who enjoys the television program Parks and Rec, uh, the real heads know. Uh, if you ever seen when Andy's got his shoe, shoe shine stand, you, you see this distinctive, comically large red boombox. And it's hexagonal because it, this is also ruggedized with the idea being that if it rolls off the back of your construction truck, like it might survive. Hmm. So okay. the, and again, if I'd had more time to prepare, but I, I, I segued home and I found the boombox and I said, remember how I said that we have a boombox, but it's pretty big. I said, well, <laughs> it's really, really pretty big. Now, how, how would you describe what you're looking at here? I mean, the people might be small. Again, uh, the whole it's the pictures uh, that got small, John. The, the whole Peter Jackson thing going on. I don't really have anything for scale in this picture. It looks big, but it doesn't look bigger than like the 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 big boomboxes from the '80s, which I think the '80s boomboxes were taller than this. Well, uh, yeah, and this is more more squat. Uh, but anyway, it's yeah. not small compared to the person. Well, and all. you can it tell is, from her, my wife's posture, that you know she's, she's kind of doing that straight arm thing, like right. you've been carrying groceries for a while. I just thought it was really funny. So we went, it, it is, it is to my mind, comically large. It features in um, what I consider a very funny, um, that phone guy that I'll try to find where, where I, I talk into it with the antenna up like it's a, like it's a mobile phone. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? Can you imagine what that would look like? Cause it's so big. Did you ask her if she needed some cardboard as well? Cardboard? Oh, to to lay, she to could lay spin down on her the, head. To lay down on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you uh, got the boom box. You just need some car, flattened jam cardboard on boxes. Jam on it. Jam, yeah. ma 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 on it. Um, this is a very large jukebox. I'm, I'm going to peg this to early 2000s, probably closer to mid 2000s. This would be a per, uh, probably a post 43 folders era boom box. But it, it is funny. And um, so anyway, if I'd had more time to prepare, I, I just thought you'd enjoy this little blast from the past and this little slice of life and this, it's not backlit, but hmm. HDR did not do a great job with this. And is, is that going to be the sound system? Yes, that's the sound system. Because okay. you go to the drive-in movie and um, I have well, an anecdote. There's no, there's no, is there no driving here, I assume? There's the walk-in movie? No, no. It's, a it's yeah, uh, so Fort Mason Flicks is, is a, is a drive-in. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's San Francisco, you know, rustic, where like you go and like it's at this really nice part of town near the marina, near the you know, the, mm -hmm. the water and, um, yeah, it's been up for a while, but it's cool. They've reopened it and, you know, you got to go and wear a mask, but we're perma maskers, so it doesn't matter. But, um, it was just really but, funny because I had, uh, are they yeah. going to drive there in a car? Oh yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. Yeah, but they're, they're not going to use street. the radio in the car as a sound system. They could, but because again, San Francisco rustic, you have to keep your car off the whole time and they don't want to drain the battery. Don't you think that might drain the battery? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I've been to drive-ins like legit, non-ironic, non-retro, like gone to drive-ins. I'm trying to recall, don't think we kept the engine running. Like we just used the radio. Right. I mean, I wasn't the driver, obviously, during those mm -hmm. times. I was just a kid. But do you recall going to drive-ins? Do you think keeping the engine running was a thing? Well, my anecdote uh, that I'll share in a second it involves my friend Todd. And my friend Todd had an Olds, Oldsmobile uh, from the early 70s that he had titled the, entitled the Battle Wagon. And you like you remember when two-door cars 
were around and when two door mm-hmm. cars, the doors were like crazy heavy, like difficult mm-hmm. to open. Like our Chrysler was like that. He had this giant, giant, I'm, I imagine it's practically a Blues Brothers car. So it probably had pretty good facilities to handle the radio being on with the lights off. I just wouldn't want to risk it. It feels like one of those things where like if you didn't get the first start right, you might not get a second chance. Yeah, and obviously lots of drivers also have the thing where you drive up next to a pole and on the pole is a little radio thing. Well, this is where my anecdote comes in because right. it was so funny where uh, this is not going anywhere. I'm just, you know, working a sin. I, um, so I went down, <laughs> I pulled this thing out. It's covered with dust and, and mice leavings. And, hmm. and, yeah. um, and so I flip it over and now I'm, you know, me, I'm like, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, panic, panic. Like, uh, okay, so you, I assume you're going to put this in the back seat. Like, do we need a cable? No, 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 no. It's going to come over the radio. It's all good. But I opened it up. Of course, the ancient EverReady batteries were well and truly caked. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I haven't heard back yet. But um, it's funny because I, I said uh, I said to my uh, lady friend, I said, um, pretty in pink. I feel like that came out in 1984 because I'm pretty sure um, Ferris Bueller was 85, 86. And uh, I was like, I have... So Todd, the titular Todd, and my uh, girlfriend at the time, the three of us went to see Purple Rain uh, at a drive-in. And ironically enough, it pissed rain through the whole movie. But it was one of the first times I feel like I remember going to the movies and you didn't have to put the dumb speaker on your window or your door and you could actually listen over the radio and it sounded pretty good. And it must not have been the first time because we brought a boombox and every time a song started in Purple Rain, we recorded it. That's my 1984. My 1984 is you, you get some uh, Let's Go Crazy, except for the first few seconds uh, on a boombox, and then you, know, you don't have to buy the record. Boy, I, I just looked this up based on you uh, trying to uh, guess when those two movies came out. Uh-huh. And so you said, oh, Pretty Pink came out X, and then Ferris Bueller's is Y. And what I was going to say to you before I looked this up is I was going to say, to me, it seems like Ferris Bueller's Day Off came out a lifetime after Pretty in Pink. Like, my life is demarked by like this. Breakfast you know, Club pre- was in between. There's Pretty in Pink, and then there's a huge gap, and then Ferris Bueller. Because Ferris Bueller is the much more modern sort of like, you know, like the, the old John Hughes movies. Those are just, you know, in, in one group. And then there's a huge gap, and then there's the modern ones with much, much more clever sensibilities and modern, you know, anyway. Okay. Same, they were the same year, both in 1986. So apparently 1986 oh. was a long, important year for me because in my head, those two movies are so far apart. Okay, so Breakfast Club must have been 85 and so Pretty, Pretty in Pink 84, right? No, Pretty in Pink No, 86. Pretty in Pink 86 because I went with my girlfriend who I didn't take to the prom. Yes, you're right. That was painful. Yes. And Ferris Bueller's Day Off, also 86. Now that, that felt very modern to me. Yes. I mean, how can they be in the... I mean, I guess Pretty in Pink was the tail end of the... The old Johnny Hughes movies. Pretty in Pink was January, and then uh, and Bueller was uh, summer, June. Um, this is going to be my dumb. The way my dumb memory works is there's a really good soundtrack for well for all these movies, but and the only there's there's a Smith song. The same Smith song I think was on two of them. Um, so I remember. Please let me get my what I want. The instrumental version when they're at the museum. That's on Ferris Bueller, but also uh, Love Love Missile X One Eleven which I remember being a very 1980s, you know, that song, do, 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 turn it up. Like when he's getting ready to skip school, doing the mm-hmm. trophy and everything. Mm-hmm. So that was very 86. Now here's the weird one. Now, now that I'm all off kilter, 16 candles, 80, 80, is, is that 84? 
my uh, obviously my uh, ability to guess movie years is terrible. So let's see. Well, that's uh, I'm just trying to, you know, pre yes, eighty four. Okay, huh? And so vacation, I feel like was probably eighty one, eighty two. Um, because that was on oh, cable. Oh, the the autocomplete gives me the 2015 version. Come on, go anyway. 83. Come on, Vaca vacation was 83. okay. Yeah, yeah, because that was from one of the uh, one of the discontiguous periods where we had cable. Um, so anyway, that was funny. Brought back memories. I think they're going to have a good time. I think they'll have a good time. I, I, I what I, what I said was, uh, I, I said, listen, I'm going to say two words to you, and then I want you to, I want you to watch this very good movie. You're going to love Ducky. I want you to watch this very good movie, and I want you to say two words, Robert California. Now, now did you watch The Office in the later seasons? Uh, I think so, mostly. James Spader is on for a few episodes. A lot of people hated him on there. I thought he was extremely funny. But then it suddenly came to me, oh my God, Robert California was totally in this movie. And, and mm -hmm. I said, the second thing I said was, watch out for the immortal line. I'm going to skip a curse here, which kind of kills the joke. When he says to, to Blaine or Wade or Flav, or whatever he says, you're not going to know whether to poop or go sailing. Mm -hmm. Remember that line? It's a great line. I remember it. Did you did you warn them about the racism? The racism. I think you're thinking of Back to the Future or Rick. Oh, uh, maybe I'm thinking of uh, still thinking of Sixteen Candles. Oh, do you remember Grandpa says to Dong? He says, "Dong, where's my automobile?" <laughs> yeah, no, what, do, Pretty in Pink doesn't have that. I guess Pretty in Pink is just you're the, thinking of Sixteen Candles, dude. Yeah, I, they, I mean Molly Ringwald. Come on, Molly Ringwald. <laughs> Voice of a generation. Uh, yeah, so Pretty in Pink is the ducky versus non-ducky, right? Pretty in Pink is you got Annie Potts as the cute record store lady. You got James, you got Robert California yeah, as... Yeah, 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 McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, the one I screw up, though, is the is her... I think there's one where her father has a great line, and I'm trying to... I think it's Pretty in Pink, and I think it's Harry Dean Stanton. But mentally, I concatenate mm -hmm. that with the father from uh, Breaking Away being her dad refund yeah no harry dean stanton is, is <laughs> wait was that a breaking away line yeah oh my yeah, god i, I remember that. the dad is a used car salesman yeah, oh, no i totally the, remember that the guy yeah, brings yeah, the yeah. car back and wants a <laughs> refund and he can't believe he has a heart attack oh god and um and barbara what's her name she's trying to get him to eat healthy mm -hmm. uh, and her, her son's turned into an eye tie that yeah, that movie holds up. The only racism in it, is, in it is against Italians, and I feel like I can give that one a pass. Mm, I'd be more worried about the, I, I don't say homophobia. The anti-gay stuff would be more if you're going to be sensitive about it. Where, where was that in, in Breaking Away? When he's very concerned that he walks in, it's a very funny scene. Oh yes, no yes, the, yeah. The, the parents for sure are homophobic, but that's part of the movie is that yeah, they are not. Are they really scared of them, John? I think they just don't you like know them. what I mean. It's just the word. It's the word we have. Well, anyway, if only, but, if only but, words didn't mean things. But but the but the part of the movie, like that's part of the movie, is the parents are oh, I not. Know. Yeah, they yeah. are not. They are out of touch and are not hip. He to just the youth. wants to, you know, uh, meet the guys in uh, Team Chinsano. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Turned um, out to be jerks. And you also, but the other role. There's so many great lines in that movie, all of which I will quote to you now. When the cop walks by, he says, "How you guys doing?" And Daniel Stern says. Something like, um, we're, we're a little concerned about the mm -hmm. developments in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really funny. And I also love when the guy at the car wash says to Jackie Earl Haley, remember to punch the clock. And you know what mm -hmm. he does? Jackie Earl Haley, he punches the clock. He does. It took Mooch, me a long time. It took really me a long strong. time to understand that because when I first saw it, I didn't know what punch the clock the meant in the non-punching the clock way. So I'm like, I think this is supposed to be a joke, but I don't get it. it took me a little while. I one. think that's still... Like I have a, I have a soft spot, not, not a soft spot, not like a, not like a cheese in my heart. <laughs> not, like, not like a baby's head. 
<laughs> I mean, maybe you do. <laughs> you know, I don't know. These Tostitos are restaurant quality. Yeah. But um, anyway, <laughs> I uh, I have a really uh, I have a warm warm place in my heart for that. That was one of my first movies I saw fairly early on. I didn't see it when it came out. Who did you out. identify with in that movie? Uh, who did I wish I... Oh, God, this no, who is... Who did you identify with? This Not is a really good you tag yourself situation. Well, obviously, mm-hmm. I wanted to be Randy Quaid. Um, I did, uh, You're I, not I, the quarterback here, Mike. <laughs> wow, I'm so impressed. That's such a good movie. Um, I've watched that movie a I lot. Think, I think probably uh, Daniel Stern's character. What's his name? <laughs> you, are not the, you are not the Daniel Stern character. I think you want to be the Daniel Stern character. You do that. I, I, why wouldn't I? Well, okay, tell me who I'm more like. You think I'm more like Mooch? Mooch is very strong. And he's got a lot of testosterone. I mean, I'm putting you into the, the Quaid role, actually. Oh, you always think I'm handsome. I love that about you. I mean, you. That, that is the handsome character, but that's not why. I feel oh. like, because he... Oh, the most bitter. No, because I feel like he, you know, his whole thing is that he was... Uh, Best days are behind He seemed him. like he had things mm-hmm. under uh, in control in high school, but then after high school, things didn't turn out quite the way he wanted. Yeah. Well, that sounds like me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the phrase is a phrase we, we, we don't use anymore, you know, but uh, he peaked early. You got to feel bad sometimes. In, in retrospect, in, when you look back, you can feel bad about somebody who peaked early. It's hard to feel bad for them while they're still peaking. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like the whole message of the movie is that's that's what they think of themselves. That's where they are at the beginning of the movie. But practically speaking, like they have each other and his his situation is not as dire as he thinks it is. It's just that he's no longer the quarterback. Oh, right. I get it. I get it. Um, his name's Cyril. Is Daniel Stern's. Oh, Daniel Stern's got a cool beard now. He looks like he uses Linux. <laughs> um, I think he used Linux in Breaking Away. He was Did you see yourself as the Stern? Um, well, you got to pick one. You could. Oh, you want to be a different I feel character? Like aspira- aspirationally, I'm the main character because of the bicycling and the Italians. Yeah, and uh, and the non self awareness. Um, oh, also that know. sort of like and it's not borderline personality disorder, but his sort of detachment from reality really, really would work for you too. Built a, he's built a world that makes sense to him and is utterly perplexing to everybody else. And then uh, everybody, all these strangers cheer for him. It's a lot like you. And, and he's kind of in a different movie a lot of the time, but he still, is, he still is part of the group. You know, like when they throw down, he's there, he's supporting, but also like he, does, he doesn't function the same when they're having arguments and conversations. He's he's more like commenting to himself on them rather than participating in them. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm. The reason I like that movie is they're all like, you know, whatever, the little, the, um, the from inside out, like the little the little yeah. people that live in your head. Yeah. I feel like we all have all of those characters in our head. Anyone who was born in the 70s and watched that movie and found it foundational probably has all those characters in our head. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Even even aspirationally when I was a teenager. But it's also, I, I don't, I, I suspect this might be um, a pretty, pretty common tenet of coming of age movies or, you know, these sorts of movies, including John Hughes movies, um, is that there are like, first of all, like nobody really loves where they are, but that's kind of beside the fact too, there are some people who are living in this place that they don't like years ago in their head. There are other people like somebody like Mooch is like he and his girlfriend are like kind of trying to put down roots and Mm -hmm. struggling you know, even in this place where like, he'd probably rather not be. Whereas, um, um, Dave, Dave's, he's already gone. I mean, he's, he's already learning to speak Italian and singing opera. Not very well. You know what I mean? That's, but that sense of like, we're all still friends, but this is not, this is a flashbulb that's not going to be lit forever. 
but he but you know he's still in indiana like he he's gone yes. in his head but practically speaking he is literally still in indiana with his friends like that's this is a movie i love breaking away so much i've always loved it and i, I, agree, I feel like I totally it's one of those movies it. yeah where it's like and it sort of an embarrassment of riches for uh you know uh white male coming of age stories right because you've got like we just said in this movie four characters four interesting different characters all going through their own coming of age thing and it's rare that you get that you know not just like a movie where it focuses on someone who who you see yourself in but four different people right you get and that so, with stuff like diner but usually it is closer to like a hero's journey kind of thing it's right. like or, our or one even big like boy the john hughes to... movies which can be like coming of age movies for you know a, a teen white a middle class teen white girl you know right but mm-hmm. then you just get one of them and then a bunch of guys right can you yes. think of a movie that has four girl friends helping themselves through things that you have to, the first one that comes to mind to me is you have to go all the way up to like the semi-modern era of you know sisterhood of the traveling pants or whatever but that's exactly what i was thinking and i've never seen that movie but breaking away is like i feel like a step up in terms of quality from the average mm-hmm. one like rarely do you get a a heartfelt coming of age movie made at this level of filmmaking and writing and acting performances that takes itself seriously like there's not a lot yeah. of fart jokes in this there's not a lot of you know no. 80s sex comedy right and this oh, is 1979 this movie 1979 it's a serious it's also a really, movie it's a really cool well it's a it's a very funny movie too right but but not like in the american pie kind of no or, i understand no, it's not it's not underpants in the bathroom john all right why you know what can you give the poor late great john hughes a break underpants huh now you do the next line oh uh oh oh and then what does she say no, she them, says they, she stares they, at the they, camera and they, says they, he, the, stole, the he sold my underpants something like no, that they, they, the nerds say underpants and then there's a pause and uh-huh. then the two nerds wordlessly look at each other in consultation and then look back at our main character and say <gasps> girls underpants oh and that's john cusack because you know he was thinking he's just going to go to the bathroom take off his underpants and bring them yep right oh yeah yeah the bet yes 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 yeah. that's got Floppy john discs. memory serves Floppy that's got, discs were on the line. i think that's got john and joan cusack in it yeah oh well, i mean of course they come as yeah. a set yeah, you don't want to break them up. I'm trying to find mm-hmm. the budget for this film, and I'm in the IMDb preview that's confusing me a little bit. Just to say that I love, so I, to me, this is one of, I, I remember, okay, here's how I learned about this movie, the most obvious way in the world, Siskel and Ebert, uh, coming attractions, pre, previews, pre, movie previews, what was the mm-hmm. show called? Back in the day, back when it was on PBS. Um, yeah, and they they both, I think, if memory serves, they both loved this movie, and it looked really cool. But like, um, the way it actually like looks and the way it's shot, like it doesn't look expensive, but if you remember, think about how many fairly acrobatic shots they had to get, like him drafting with the truck, him just like riding his bike around town, the entire sequence with the race. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. It's amazing movie making. Like there's no, you know, it's not Star Wars, right? But just yeah. for what it's shot on location with in the outdoors uh you know in actual houses and places and it is you know it feels completely of a piece i'm looking at the the awards thing um academy awards best original screenplay it won you're kidding me yeah it did was that P- peter yates no i wonder who it was uh steve tesh tish okay uh, wow. and Keep best going. juvenile actor in a motion picture for the first young artist awards the lead actor won for that Oh, and then he was in a really creepy horror movie a couple years later. Dressed, yeah, one of those, dressed to kill. One of those people that dressed to kill. kind of like not glad that he wasn't in other things, but yeah, I so associate him with that role. Oh, I know. That like know. that's you know that's that's just him, right? And if he was ever in anything else, I don't need to. Oh see my it. god! Of course, PJ Souls. What is PJ Souls not in? 
She's also in, I, I, she's in, I think, Valley Girl? No. Am I thinking of Rock and Roll High School? Oh, Private Benjamin, Stripes. She's one of the blondes. Her and, uh, or she, she was, she, remember the two girls in Stripes that they, they bring back to the place? One of them is, uh, is a Blade Runner lady, and the other one is uh, this woman, PJ Souls. Hmm. Anyway, um, and what was the other thing? So filmmaking, good filmmaking. Yeah, we watched it uh, probably a year or two ago. And I was very happy to see it again. I mean, I'm, I'm not as over as the moon as the first time I saw it. But, oh, so the only thing I was going to say is, having learned about this on Siskel and Ebert, um, I mean, this was a time when they were reviewing a lot of, not just, like, movies I'd never heard of, but in a genre I'd never heard of. Like, sort of, like, independent films. So, like, stuff like uh, John Sayles did, Return of the Sakaka 7, like that. Like this, there would be all these, like, or I think things like, I just remember stuff with like Werner Herzog, not with, um, sorry, with Klaus Kinski, like these movies with actors and directors I'd never heard of. And it turned me on to like a lot of this stuff. So this is one of the first movies that in my head, in my time, I remember being referred to as like a, an indie, an independent movie. Anyway, y'all should check it out. I think I bought it on iTunes. It should be out there somewhere. Sneak previews. Sneak previews. This is still on the Ebert show. And I I saw this on television for the first time because I was too young in 1979 when it came out. And so it was one of those amazing like cable television finds. And then it played on television over and over again for my entire childhood, which is why I've seen it a million times and why I've saw it printed on it. When I was in, this is Madison, right? No, sorry, Bloomington. When I was in Bloomington to do a talk, God, I'm so sorry, Midwest. Uh, I was in Bloomington to do a talk and yeah, I did buy a cutter shirt, which is, you know, it's a very that guy thing to do in Bloomington. You're not a cutter. I'm a cutter. <laughs> Refund. <laughs> Yard sale. <laughs> That's a lot like my Buzz. That sounds like my Buzz Lightyear impersonation. Oh, uh, yeah. Yard sale. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs. That's going to get you a free trial with no credit card required. Not too bad. Here's the thing. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you completely covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online to make your ideas a reality. That's, a, that, that's terrific. You need that. You need Squarespace. Go get it. Got everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website you start with a professionally designed template, and then you just use simple drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, all of that with just a few clicks. There's so much you can do. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile, so your content automatically adjusts so it will look great on any device. You're going to get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade ever, they have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you need any help. And they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name for your home on the web. You'll have everything you need for SEO, email marketing, to get your ideas out there. It's all inside of Squarespace. It's really the best. So, you know, what are you going to do with this? Well, you do whatever you want. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new site. Yeah, you can showcase your work. Uh, they have incredible portfolio designs. You could publish your next blog post, promote your business, announce an upcoming event, and so much more. I'm a huge fan of Squarespace. I use it, um, I don't use it every day, but I use it weekly. And I have used it weekly 
for 10 years for a specific reason, and that's because that's where I host the Roderick on the Line podcast. My personal sites are on Squarespace, and if I ever need to help somebody out and uh, keep myself out of the webmaster business, I always suggest Squarespace. They're, they're, they've, been a, they've been good to me. Let's put it that way. It's, I, I don't love making websites, and Squarespace takes care of all of that for me. And so right now, you can go to squarespace.com slash diffs for a free trial. It's D-I-F-F-S. Like I say, no credit card required. None. When you're ready to launch, use our very special offer code diffs, and that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash diffs. And when you decide to sign up, please remember to use that offer code diffs to get 10% off your first purchase. It really, it really helps, you know, John Syracuse. And it'll, it'll help you if we're being honest. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, <laughs> hi, everybody. Welcome back uh, to which one is this? Welcome back to uh, Reconcilable Differences. And uh, uh, I'm your co host, uh, Tim Goodman. What did, Welcome. You, what did you take out some follow up? I was excited about that follow up, and we're going to do it now. Oh, I moved it down. Well, I moved it down, but then I thought we can talk about that. I just didn't want to make this an entirely John-centric episode, but now that I've gotten is, my this, licks in... This is you-centric. This is your thing. It has mm, your initials in front of it. Well, it means it's from me. That's how you know it's from me. <laughs> I, I looked at that. I was like, mobile, I had Homer the, mobile on device the manager? But, oh, I get it. Okay, right. Oh, you do it again. I, mean, I did. Kinda... I parsed it as mobile device manager like three times before my brain cracked. I believe you actually did parse it. I, I believe I that you actually have a compiler or whatever. G- GNC, is that what it's called? Is that the compiler everybody uses? Um, welcome back, everybody. And that's your co-host, Jason Snell. And we're reconciling our differences. I don't think we have a challenge this week, do we? Today is a normal week. There is no extra content. Next, uh, what's next it ordinary episode, time? there will be. No, what's it called? What did you call ordinary it? Time. Cath- is it ordinary, ordinary time? Ordinary time, yep. Man, now that sounds like an 80s movie. But, you know, um, we do this. You know, and we put on an episode every couple weeks, whether you like it or not. And if you want to support the show, you can go to relay.fm uh, slash RD. Uh, just to remind you, uh, we just had our big, uh, I don't know, December to remember, uh, made, made to get laid. We just had our big Relay event, and, uh, and everybody put out bonus episodes of shows, and including uh, one that we did with a uh, uh, friend of the network, uh, I'm Michael Hurley. And I, did, I, th- I thought I did very badly, but I've been told this by several people that they really enjoyed the episode. I think they like hearing from Mike. I got a lot of nice feedback about that episode. People really enjoyed it. Uh, and remember, if you are a Relay member, to get that episode, you subscribe to the crossover feed. It's a whole different show, and it has all the special episodes from all the Relay shows, including all of our past special episodes. And yes. everything. anyway, you just scroll through the crossover feed and find the ones that you want to hear. The most recent one that says Reconcilable Differences, that's ours. And uh, amidst these troubled times, uh, I'm becoming uh, less um, reluctant to say uh, when you give money to the network and to us, it, it helps a lot. Uh, it helps a lot. It helps, you know, with, uh, you know, money. So I want to thank everybody that does that. And anybody who would like to give us money, um, or just, you know, could just, let's say, share your support. It really helps people discover the show. New people <laughs> is, uh, is you can, um, you could go to uh, really.fm slash RD and we don't have a challenge this week, but we'll have one next week. Now do the bit. Oh, everyone knows we don't have a challenge. They know it's a topic. Oh my gosh. I thought we had a challenge. Okay. Um, I learned to start taking my nap earlier because if I miss the window and then I have to go straight into dealing with you, mm, I'm, dra- I'm with utterly me. drained. I'm drained. Dealing with me, please. 
Do you know how excruciating it is? Uh-huh. I can't, I'm already dreading this very joyful topic I was going to share with you under my um, <laughs> material device managing mm-hmm. section. Uh, mm-hmm. But now I just know it's going to turn into you beating up on me. It won't. I'm, See, this, you're going into it with a bad attitude to start. You go into let's, everything let's, with a bad go, attitude. Go in, let's go in positive. Let's think you about how wonderful this could be. Oh, I wish it were true. You don't actually like anyone you know. You only it like the idea be. of people you don't know. The idea. I believe that this can be a wonderful thing. Anyway, go ahead. What is, what is your topic? Oh, that was it. That was it. Um, and so well, I was going to tell you the episode's up in draft. If you want to add bookmarks, um, I downloaded Perfect Blue, but haven't watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So you're absolved of all of these. Uh, singing no, in the they're rain. still in there. They're still on the list. Well, I finally took out the one section. Um, so anyway, um, this, this isn't interesting. Should I do it? Yes, it is. It's totally interesting. I need How to tell did about it. this happen? Uh, so we've got a PS4 that John very wonderfully, uh, helped me figure out how to use on Christmas day, which as anyone apparently can tell you is not the day to unwrap and set up a new video game console. But uh, yeah, we got the Darth Vader one. So that probably puts it in what? 2015. They all kind of look like Darth Vader. Yeah. But this one actually has his head on it a little bit. Mm. Um, but so when we, and we haven't used it a lot. Me, because I don't play video games, and she, because by the time she was interested in video games, as I'm sure you can guess, <clears throat> she's primarily wanting to play games on iOS devices and secondarily on the Switch. So apart from occasionally like playing Sims, because we've learned to love the idea of Sims from mm-hmm. uh, Monster Factory, um, but like she hasn't played like a, a ton of stuff, and I'm trying to remember exactly what led to this resurgence i'm gonna go have to look at the list but there was something probably probably reading my blog and saw my great games list was that it well i all she she's a huge fan the only thing she says is (laughs) why doesn't john why doesn't john update it more Mm -hmm. yeah she really i know she's always you know huge fan it's gonna be yeah no she keeps all your uh all your hypercriticals Mm -hmm. on her her Mm -hmm. little phone she goes back and she listens to it she goes like an animal because she's (laughs) two She's not three anymore. <laughs> Textbook. I think she probably was three when I recorded that Textbook. episode. Textbook. <laughs> probably three or four. Uh, I sent all of these to Alexandra. So let me see if I can find this. Because it'll make more sense if I tell you why this is. Okay, so what I can eyeball is that it's usually because there's something on TikTok that uh, made her interested in something. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember. Okay, I forget what it was. Oh, you know what? It, it might have been Edith Finch. But anyway, something came along that made us turn on the the PlayStation, rehook it up to Ethernet, make sure everything's updated, dismiss the warning that we turned it off wrong because <laughs> you you can't turn mm-hmm. it off right. Yeah, yep. I know, I know, you told me. Um, anyway, and so but we uh, she got back into it, and so I I seeded it w- with a couple games, new games, and we've gotten some since then. But I just texted you to say, hey, you know, she sat down with. I know this is not a difficult game, but I'm still on a ledge somewhere in Edith Finch. <laughs> and she sat down and played the whole thing all the way through the other day. And she, the reason I texted you was like, she loved it. She found it a, very it's moving. An game. That's why. I know it's on your list on your, on your website. I know. And I didn't want to send that to her right now because they're, they're watching uh, your problematic movie right now, yep, but yep. I will share that. I will share that. Um, um, so anyway, I, first of all, I just wanted to put in front of you, I, I, you know, thank you again. It was incredibly, I'm being dead, honest, sincere. 
Uh, like it was so helpful. I did not know what I was doing with PlayStation. I've only like fairly recently figured almost anything. Out. I don't know how I, I want to. She always plays on my account, and I've always wondered like how do I do a different account? I can't, she can't move her stuff probably. But uh, I mean, what I'm here to tell you is she's playing video games. So we got a couple more games she's playing. She's loving it, and um, and I'm thinking I might might just try my hand at it maybe. I, I also, I slapped an SSD on there, yeah, uh, a two terabyte helps. SSD and put all our games on there, which supposedly makes it go faster. It does, yep. Because we had to delete our Spider-Man because we were full. Yeah. I think the good thing about Edith Finch, I mean, she played through it in one sitting. I assume you weren't home when this happened or? I was there for, I was there for um, parts of it, like at the, at the beginning and, and, and toward the middle. And like, she'd already found like, I don't know, there's a map with faces on it and she'd found the people as one person from each generation, blah, blah, blah. And she explained all that to me. And then I, I, to be honest, like I watched her play for a while and it was really fun. The other game that she was playing was really fun to watch. I'll tell you about. But um, um, like I say, I tried it once and I don't want to say I gave up because I'm not dead yet, but I did like let it go. But yeah, she, she loved it. She loved the writing on the screen stuff, the kid on the swing, woof. Like there's, there's, there's a lot going on and I love the mm-hmm. corridors. I love a corridor. So I one what I've done with this game is, you know, I played it myself, right? And then I suggested that various people in my house might play it. People who generally aren't into games. Um, so my daughter played through it, I think, twice. Once with me there with her, once on her own. Um, I think I had my son play through it. Um, the good thing about the game is you can play through it in one sitting. It's not super long. And it's a fun game to play through with someone else who has played the game there to sort of not tell you what to do or guide you, but just to sort of like, you know, it, it, no one wants to get stuck in a game. Like you got to the part and you're like, oh, you I'm kind of stuck those sort of general questions. Yeah, just, about just because, like, because you know, they're going to lead you to like a Last yeah. of Us or this where you can go like, if you want to learn more about this person, where, where would you look for something like yeah. that? Yeah, and this is mostly an interactive story. It's not a competitive game. It's, there's no time pressure to do anything. You're it feels not, very indie. You know, it's very it's very editorial, as it, Tim it, Gunn would it, say. It's, it has, uh, it's widely recognized as having some of the best writing in any video game. Not good writing for a video game, but just plain good writing, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in video games, it's, there's it's a moving, lot of- but not mockish. It's- it's got, and I said to her, like, you know, I said, the thing is, like, people have come to use the word horror to mean really more of what I would call gore. Mm-hmm. And horror is an old genre. A horror is about something, the idea of which even sort of makes you shudder. Like, a horror, I think, used to be something closer to creepy than bloody. And, like, I think this, I think this is, or you, I guess I, the light version of that would be gothic. But I, would, yes. I think this game is very much in that area. It's, it's unsettling. But it's also beautiful. Yeah, it's 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 definitely more towards the gothic and even more towards the sort of um, not diary, but like, uh, you know, sort of ex- exploration of the internal world of a person. And, you know, anyway, it's 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 very literary. And, you know, video games suffer from anyone. When you talk about anything in a video game, there's always that unspoken qualifier of asterisk for a video game. Good writing for a video game. Yeah, sure. Interesting sure. for a video game. Right. But this straight up. Like I'm, I'm almost surprised it hasn't been optioned for a movie or something because this is just a straight up good narrative, made better by the fact that you don't just watch it, you play it, and certain aspects of it absolutely don't work in a non-interactive right. manner. Right? If, if this started out as like a first, somebody would want to pitch it as a movie, and you'd kind of blow it, like they did with Lemony Snicket, 
And then you get you could have the save like with Lemmy Snicket, by instead making it not only is this a multi episode thing, but each book is split up into two episodes. I happen to love that series, but in this case, you could screw this up good by what are you going to leave out? You know, well, I, I don't want to ruin it for you, but there are there are like part of the part of the fact what makes it a game is you are not forced, but you are induced to participate in it in a way that you don't have a participation in a movie. And you know, again, sure. this is not a gamey game, right? So your participation is not, it's not asking much of you, but what the, I mean, you saw the swing thing, right? As just an example, no spoilers. Yeah, but that, like, was, that was, that was a heart, heartbreaker. But sort of your, even your tacit participation in events like that connects you to them in a, in a way that is different, not better, not worse, not deeper, not shallower, but different mm-hmm. than the way you are connected if you saw that projected in a movie. So either Finch, is what I always recommend to people who aren't really into games, don't really have any interest in any of the sort of action competitive parts of games, don't want to solve really hard puzzles because it doesn't ask you that, but enjoy good books, TV, and movies. Um, And it's a great entry point for that because you can say, okay, if you play through this game, you will appreciate it the same way you appreciate, you know, if you like this kind of thing of a movie, TV show, or whatever, you know, if you're into this genre, like you mentioned, gothic horror, you know, Stuff like that. Um, and not, not that I'm going to say it's a horror game. It's not really scary at all. But you will also, I think, inevitably say, but this was also different than reading a book. It was also different than watching mm-hmm. a movie. And it's kind of a, a great entry point. And so I, rec- I recommend Eating Myth of Inch to literally everybody. <laughs> I still only understand this intellectually, ironically enough. But something you said to me that I feel like I really get, at least intellectually, is, you know, the difference between watching somebody like I had said about some game or other, I'd said, Oh, can I just go watch a playthrough of this? Like, I think it was the last of us. And and you were, you know, saying, no, you really, you need to play it. You need to like experience it. And I, I so get that also for our listeners out there. Uh, you'll find a link in show notes, which you can find it, uh, relay.fm slash RD that goes to John Syracuse's March 1st, 2019 blog post, great games. It's a really good post of John's favorite games, short descriptions and his usual sort of contextual but non-spoilery information. It's a good post. I continue to update it. I like I added sign our Wild I Hawks figured. To it, so, yeah, so I, I, I saw. Right? I figured, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really say anything about the games because people just want a list, and it is effectively just a list. It doesn't pretend to be anything else. But I do what I'm trying to to do in this list is say, all right, so here's this list. How do I get this game? Especially as time passes, like yeah, but that game was on the PlayStation Two. How am I supposed to play that? And that's why I put links like this thing is available on all these different platforms because a lot of these older games they just keep bringing along. Speaking of The Last of Us, they're going to do... So that was originally on PS3. Then they ported it to PS4. Now they're remaking it for PS5. It's the same game, right? But say you weren't alive when the PS3 was out or you weren't into games then or whatever. It it becomes harder if you're like, oh, go go on eBay and get a PS3, right? Right. A lot of these games, they keep bringing them to new platforms. Kind of in the same way, I suppose, that, you know, they make 4K versions of movies or it used to be available on VHS, but now it's available on DVD, but now it's available on streaming. They do that with the best of the best games as well. So this, what I keep up to date on this list is here's where you can actually find and play this game. You don't have to have, you know, a PlayStation 2 to play this. You can actually play it on lots of modern platforms. You know, Journey's available on the PC now for crying out loud. You know, so wow. that's what's on. It's mostly just here's how you can get it. Maybe one or two sentences about the game. And I linked to if I did like a podcast about it or something. Um, yes, very, very handy. Please check that out. I just sent you a bunch of screen grabs of uh, the games that we have. So knowing what I know, and I, I think I did this wrong, and I may need to do some uh, retroactive purchasing here, is I, I've always heard great things about Shadow of the Colossus, and I figured that might be a good one. But now you're saying here in your weblog post 
No, I'm saying in my text message to you where I recommended your, you said, what games are good for us to play oh, together after you? Oh. Go, go look at my answer to that because I think I came up with some good options. For oh, you. no, you did. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, let's come back to this though because I want to talk about Shadow of the Colossus and whether I have to play this ICO game first. <laughs> That's funny how. <laughs> Initial coin offering, is that what yes. that is? Yes. Now, what about the game where the guy's petting the dragon on that long bridge. The that's, Last that's Guardian. A, that's a, okay, different game, later game. Yes. And the ICO comes first. All of those games are on my great games is list. That, I would that, not necessarily recommend, uh, you know, for you, uh, most of those games. But mm, Okay, well, like, okay, so the beginning of Shadow of the Colossus, when he's in the building with mm-hmm. the parcel, mm-hmm. is the creation of that parcel in that condition something that happens in the previous game? Not really. The mm. the games are connected, but in a way that is difficult to okay. But <laughs> she didn't. Di- she, it's not like she died in the first one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I, if you're going to play of those three games, those are all made by the same sort of uh, author. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm gonna. I have to look it up so I can look it up and then mispronounce it terribly. Just, uh, so just for our audience, just so yeah. you know, Fumito this is a, this, Ueda. Okay, this is a condition I, I've noticed in a lot of older adults, including myself is that when an older adult is telling a pretty good story, that's unusual. When mm-hmm. telling a pretty good story, but then, I'm not talking to you, shh. Um, but then what happens is they forget somebody's name from the 30s, mm-hmm. and then they, they can't get back to the story until they remember the name. I've caught myself doing that a couple times, a lot. Of these three games by, oh, I'm not going to try the name again, by, by, this, by the same studio, the same person, um, the only one I would recommend for you personally to try is the first one, not just because it's the first and you should go in order, but you totally should. Uh, it's called Eco. Uh, it is sort of the gentlest, and but even of, of the, it is the gentlest and requires the the least sort of gamer experience, but it does require some. Like it's that, okay. it's not, this All was right, not on the, fair. this was yeah. not, your daughter will, uh, might enjoy it more, but it's, it's got some tough puzzles in it that you will get stuck on. And if you don't want to okay. get stuck on puzzles, you know. Well, between the two of us, we couldn't figure out how to properly climb. She kept shooting and put changing weapons. And I said, are you sure it's that shoulder button? Like, are we doing? Oh, uh, well, you know, Shadow of the Colossus is the, the second one, and it is way hard. The cli- uh, climbing, climbing was challenging for us. It's, it's, very, it's a hard game. Um, okay, and then, good to know. Uh, the, uh, the Last Guardian is hard for reasons that it probably shouldn't be having to do with the controls in the game. Okay. Um, but, but, but if you look back to the message I sent you, which ones did I recommend? Um, John wrote an uh, uncharacteristically uh, very nice message. You even used, uh, you even, uh, you said, yay. Um, shall I read this or just the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or just summarize. Uh, I'm glad you liked Edith Finch. It really is a special game. It also would have been my recommendation for a game for you two to play together. Maybe she'll play it a second time with you. I bet she will. Uh, here's my great games list. Uh, and then there's a link. Aside from Edith Finch, I'd recommend Firewatch or Inside as a game for you to play together. Both are available for PS4. Inside requires more traditional gamer skills, quote unquote, but both can be played slowly and methodically. Um, another one may be better for the two of you. I'm so embarrassed you sent this again. Life is Strange. Um, there are sequels, da, 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 uh, just, just plain old Life is Strange, which is, of course, in my homework and has been for two years. Yeah, but like specifically for a game that you and your daughter might enjoy together, Life is Strange is probably my number one choice. Maybe you'll bounce off it because it's a little bit weird, but those those are my three recommendations for you. Okay. 
but Life is Strange is Life is Strange is longer. But again, all these games are the type of games where you will never be under any well, not never, but almost never be under any time pressure to do something or to okay. shoot a bad guy or being menaced by a monster. They're all very moody and artsy. And I got um, Gone Home on the suggestion of Alexandra. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got Red Dead Re- Redemption Two because we've seen Dave Weigel playing a lot. She was very impressed with the graphics on that. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, Gone Home, the inside. That is the, uh, so Gone Home was the first game uh, from uh, the oh. s- people who made Inside. And so Gone Home Inside, was kind of I have Inside, but haven't played it, so I should play that first. So, well, no, no, they're not, they're not related in any way. And I think Inside is a better game than Gone Home. I may be in the minority there. But okay. they made Gone Home. It was a big smash, uh, you know, a bigger hit than anyone expected. And their follow-up game was Inside. And I think Inside uh, is the work of a much more accomplished set of game makers. Because Inside is, I think, phenomenal. Who, who's that good for, her, me, or both? Both, I think. A good together um, game? Like, the in, in, you know, Inside is super creepy. I don't know. No, wait, am I wrong? No, Inside is, is the... Gone from Home the people looks who pretty made, creepy. Oh, God, I'm sorry, everyone listening to this who was just yelling at me. Inside is from over? the people who made... You want to CGP Grey it? No, because I'm correcting myself in real time. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, You're a mess this week, John. I don't know what's going on. You should nap earlier. I should. I now see. I'm doing the old person thing because I got to look it up. I'm sorry. Uh, attributing so listener it to, knows to, my, uh, to, my my late mother-in-law used to do this. Say it again, John. Uh, I'm sorry. I was talking to the eye. Limbo. Yes, Limbo. The people who made Limbo then made Inside. Everything I said applies. It's just it's just Gone Home is totally different. The people who made Gone Home went on to make that space station game that wasn't as good. I think. Um, and and I Firewatch. Uh, our friends at Panic had a role in that. Yes. And everybody says that's good. Yep, it is. Sure is. And so it's Gone uh, Home. Gone Home is a good game, too. These are all good games. Okay. We got Fallout 76 because of Monster Factory, because I'm pretty sure that's the game with um, the final Pam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to get you into that uh, that, that channel. I've seen that one video like six times. <laughs> well, it's very, very good. Her metal husband. Good. Also the one with Turbo Vicky uh, the, the, and uh, Dick Cheney uh, playing uh, Wii Sports is very good. Sweet alien boy uh, playing golf. These are all very good. And then all those games you like where people wear dresses. There's a bunch of really funny ones of those too. Really? So I should uh-huh. check those out. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah, yeah they have some really that. good ones. Oh, is that like? Is, are they super old? Like when the original Destiny was out? No, no, no. Not that kind. No, more like where it's like got the character creators and a million different you know options. You know that kind of game, like the mm-hmm. adventure games, like uh, a yeah. uh, Tales of the Broken Scroll or whatever. Um. And what else was I going to say? Um, oh, oh yeah, Monster Factory. Also the one with R.B. McDonald's, the wrestling game. It's very, very good. I know you don't like to laugh, but that's a fun one. And I want to come back to Spider-Man. We both got kind of frustrated with Spider-Man and couldn't figure it out, but it was really fun to play. Yeah, yeah. Those uh, people uh, seem to really enjoy the Spider-Man games. I've never gotten into them because they're just not into superhero games, but they look pretty fantastic. Like if you if you ever had any interest in sort of being Spider-Man or oh, doing yeah. Spider-Man things, yeah, they really seem like they embody like that in the game. Um, yeah, we watched watched uh, her her. Well, he's her friend too, but her her good friend's uh, older brother play it, and I was like, oh my god, this is what I would want out of a modern mm-hmm. video game. Um, and what was I going to say? So these words are going to come out of my mouth and I know I'm going to regret it in at different times and in different ways, but you sold me again in this post. And I, I'm, I think I should put on the headphones and try journey again. One sitting, sit down, put the headphones on, turn everything off. Yeah. I just couldn't figure out what to do, John. There's sand and there's flags mm-hmm, and I know it mm-hmm. must be good, but sometimes they glow, I think. But I, I can't tell what I'm supposed to do. I feel like it's like it's like uh, Zelda on the horse uh, all over again. I feel like you'll have a breakthrough eventually if you keep uh, if you if you keep at it. Okay, 
Start it over, start it over, go in, headphones. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Okay. Is it about sand? It, it's about sand. It is, le- it is less complicated than you think it is. Okay. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Instabug. You can learn more about Instabug right now by visiting try.instabug.com slash diffs. I'm going to tell you a fact. Building mobile apps uh, presents some challenges. Bugs, crashes, and performance issues can be a nightmare for developers. But what if you could not only detect all these issues, but understand the quality of your app from your user's point of view? Well, Instabug's lightweight SDK grabs all the insights you need to build quality apps through comprehensive bug and crash reports, performance monitoring, and real-time user feedback. And that's all in one SDK. With Instabug, you can continuously monitor and measure the performance of your app as perceived by your users. You can engage with your users by letting them report issues and questions right from inside your app. And you can get all the information you need about bugs, crashes, and other issues. And then you can fix those issues in record time, all with a focus on privacy and security. And you don't have to worry about the hassle of switching to a new tool. It only takes a minute to integrate Instabug into your app and it fits right within your workflow, whatever you prefer. It's got support for Jira, Slack, Trello, GitHub, Zendesk. That's some heavy hitters. Uh, wherever you, uh, whatever you use to handle your issues, Instabug is going to work for you. So you can join over 25,000 top mobile developers around the world who use Instabug to ship high quality apps. And so uh, we'd love it if you go and uh, you visit try.instabug.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Try.instabug.com slash diffs. Go check them out. Our thanks to Instabug for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. You know what's interesting? Uh, I came up at a time, so there were arcade games. And at least in my, I mean, you know, there was Pong at home. But before everybody had an Atari, you played arcade games. But in the age of whatever, you know, Atari and television, Coleco, it was really all about playing with a friend. I, I Off the dome, I cannot tell you a game that didn't at least have what you might call two-player mode. Or like, you know what I mean? Like like you would mm-hmm. with a video game where you switch off. It's it's so interesting to me that like, it was, a mm, just one say social, but it was something where like, if we're, whether you were playing Combat or Moon Patrol or you know, Galaxian or whatever it was, you played against somebody, you got two joystick controllers, you got two of those tourney rolly controllers, and it was all about playing your pals. I don't think there were any Atari games, that, at least that I can remember, that just were a one-person game. I'm sure they existed. No, there was, pl- there was pl- plenty of solo games, but the thing is, even with solo games, like my recollection of playing video games as a kid, starting with the Atari 2600 and ColecoVision so like, and all there's that no, stuff. There's no live competitor. You're, you play by, literally only yeah, ever but, by yourself. But, e- but even when you were playing a game that it was just yourself, it was always a communal experience because if you didn't have the controller, believe me, you were still participating. If you get a bunch of kids in front of a, a 2600, all right. everyone who doesn't have the controller is yelling at the person with the controller. Yeah, so you you could yell to your friend like there's a mutant coming get in the stargate right and there and the people who don't have the controllers are leaning to the left and leaning to the right on the couch like that is totally the experience and even more so for games like you know i played through a lot of games with my friends you know sort of the adventure games they called them point and click adventure games or like you know in the modern era things like mist those were games that you played through together who was playing mist when me and my friend are sitting in front of the computer quote unquote playing mist who is playing we're both playing because like, well, I mean, it's not like it's did a Minecraft game. where you do stuff together, but you also, you could be playing at the same time in the roughly same place. Right, and but I mean, Mist, Mist is a single player game, right? Mm. But 
But with oh, you I have see what two people okay. sitting in front of the computer, we are both playing it because we're both looking at the screen, both thinking about what we should do. And whoever comes up with the idea, oh, why don't we try this? Whoever grabs the mouse and clicks on something, that's not the person who's playing the game. You're both playing the game. The same way we were both playing Pirate's Cove text adventure on the TI-99, uh, whatever it is, um, right. off, of, off a cassette tape, right? Yeah. Like the, you know, the Infocom text adventures. Everyone who is mm-hmm. sitting in front of that computer is playing all at the same time. They're both playing. They're all we're all playing a single player game together because we're all putting our heads together and say, what do you think we should do? So you can do that no matter who's holding the controller. Multiple people can be sitting on the couch and all playing the same, quote unquote, single player game together. What you're talking about is, OK, well, sometimes there are games where two people can literally be holding controllers at the same time and either playing competitively or cooperatively. And there's a lot right. of a lot of modern games picked up that in the uh Probably in the, the early 2000s era of game consoles, two-player co-op became a big deal where and not just uh, not just two people on the couch, but also two people across the Internet rather than shooting each other's heads, which is, you know, two-player competitive gaming has been around forever. Two players would cooperatively play through two players who are in their own houses separated by whatever would cooperatively play through a quote unquote single player campaign together, you know, so they'd be helping each other through it or whatever. Um, but all, all those things still exist. And I think. Like there is no, there are very few kinds of games that can't be quote unquote played by multiple people at the same time. Well, maybe, uh, well, I I had what I thought was a remark, but I guess it's a question, which is, I mean, are there well-known, well-regarded, well-loved games for PS4 that two people can play at once? I mean... Like, I feel like there aren't that many games where we both hold a controller and do something. So in, in the modern era, most games where two people play at the same time, uh, they're built so those two people not only aren't in the same house, but often can't be in the same house, mostly because you would have to divvy up the screen very often. Right? Oh, of course. That makes sense. Yeah. Unless you can find both people to be in the same place. There's a lot of Nintendo games where, you know, it's like a Mario game, but multiple people can be on the screen at once. and They do all sorts of UI things to sort of keep from having to ever split the screen, right? Because, you know, you you know Mario, he's bouncing along. Imagine if you had a Mario and a Luigi. Well, what if they get widely separated? And then how do you deal with that, right? And so they have all sorts of mechanics to make that possible. But in general, if two people either competitively or together are going to play a game in the modern era, that it's assumed that they're separated by the internet and each have okay. their own full TV. That's uh, interesting and just barely, slightly sad, slightly sad. But, but like I said, it doesn't matter who's holding the controller. You can both be quote unquote playing the game if you're both participating. No, I know, I know, I know. But like you just had an idea in mind that it'd be fun if, you know, there were ways that, you know, we could both go wander around and then, you know, sort of get back together and things like that. But um, she's having a great time. She's into it. And I'm just happy to see her using a different screen. It pleases me. Yeah. Um, she, she also not, maybe not for you, but if she can try gone home, uh, next on her own, I think she'll appreciate it. It is slower paced and I think not as good as Edith Finch, but it's up the similar alley. I will add that to the list. Might be too boring though. So so you can't tell when people are going to get bored by something because a lot of these things are slow paced. This is all still pretty novel. I mean like console game. Well, I mean, she's been playing, she's played the switch for whatever long that's been, Mm -hmm. but, um, this is the, the PlayStation. I mean, gosh, some of these games are so pretty. What is she playing on the Switch mostly? What does she play? Um, uh, let's see. She plays Minecraft on the iPad. What, what does she play on the Switch? She's doing something on there. Does she have Zelda? Uh, she did Zelda. Remember? Because mm-hmm. she finished the game and then she was confused. Remember yep. that the game yep, ended yep. and she was really, she, yeah, she a, cried. That's a good one. She didn't cry as much as the time she ruined her potatoes in Minecraft. <laughs> but that's the saddest I've ever seen her in her entire life. My potatoes. I oh, just, my heart sank. Um, I don't know. We both play a little Mario Kart on there. 
I, I wish you could play a version of that game where people don't throw things at you. It's really, it's really distracting. I mean, you could, you could, uh, you know, make that treaty amongst yourselves. No, no, but the other guys. Can I have like a no, no fruit mode or something? Oh yeah, but you, I think you can do a race with just the two of you without the computer players. Oh, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really all about those kinds of negotiations. Uh, John, you have a mini topic for us uh, this week. Uh, uh, I think I did the reserve reading for this, but tell tell the people what what you want to talk about. I, I saw this in the notes. I'm like, what is that about? And then I remembered. Uh, apparently, on a past show, I mentioned Super Baby, the Super Baby, at some point. Um, and you asked me what that was, and I said, "We'll talk about it on another show." This is another show. I have no idea how this topic came up. People who just listened to the previous episode of Rectifs probably know. Maybe it was even the member special. But anyway, um, it was somehow talking about the children of celebrities or the children mm-hmm. of, you know, people people who are famous for doing a particular thing and the pressure they may or may not feel to to follow in one or, or both of their parents' footsteps. Do you remember the context of this and how this? I, I know the phenomenon. I don't remember us talking about it. All right. Well, we're both too old to remember. But anyway. Hmm. Super Baby is my probably inappropriate name uh, for the child, uh, and eventually there's multiple children, of uh, tennis players Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf. Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi got married uh, many years ago. Uh, she's she's German and he's American? American. Okay. Um, she uh, Steffi Graf was the number one tennis player in the world for many years, uh, holds many, many records, only very recently been broken by uh, Serena Williams uh, and... You know, like Steffi Graf, you know, when when she was dominant, she was incredibly dominant. Like just, she was the best woman tennis player in the world for a long time. Uh, amazingly talented, athletic. Andre Agassi, uh, I always contend, is the most talented uh, male tennis player ever to play the game. Not the most accomplished, uh, because it takes more than talent to win championships. You also need to dedicate a certain amount of time to it. You need to have the, you know, right mental ability. But in terms of just raw talent for my money, Andre Agassi has the most raw talent of any, uh, professional male tennis player that has ever played. And it's part of why his career was so interesting is because it was so heartbreaking to see that raw talent, not, not mm. be marshaled in the right way to, mm. to produce, you know, great change. He was the number one player in the world for a little while, or whatever, but he is nowhere near as dominant as, Federer or even Sampras or, you know, a lot of the other uh, greats, right? Mm -hmm. But they got married. And to my mind, maybe it's just because I don't follow many other sports, but to my mind, two things. One, most sports don't have as accomplished a women's version. So you've got like the NBA and the WNBA and the NBA is just so much bigger and so much more famous and so much more, you know, like popular and and longstanding and, you know, than, than the WNBA. Um, or, you know, pick anything you want, like uh, soccer, where the, the American women's team. Golf, and there was a time when golf was, I mean, I think there were a lot of people like in the Nancy Lopez era were kind of following women's golf. But it's not, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's, one doesn't want to say a ghetto, yeah. but it's not, it's not nearly the same right. level of being well-known or whatever. Yeah. Or even in things like soccer, where the women, the American women are way better than the American oh, right. women. Yeah. The American women are the literally the best less. in the world. <laughs> And even then, they, they can't get parity. So it's the, the shame of our world and our nation that we do not support women's sports to the degree that we should. Again, even when the women are better than the men, it doesn't seem to matter. I think the women the women could benefit more from it. I think I think pound for pound, most, well, I, one doesn't want to say, but I think I think pound for pound, there's a lot of girls that could really benefit from, you know, the Title IX to the 10th power. I mean, a lot of dudes are already getting, you know, plenty of opportunities to go out and do that kind of stuff, but... I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but but tennis, I feel like it has, uh, at least during my life, been 
the least inequitable, one of the least inequitable, still inequitable for sure. Absolutely. Like they're not equal in any way, but, but women's tennis in this, I always just, you know, is, is treated with more respect than most mm-hmm. women's sports within the world of tennis. Right. And there are great champions on the women's side and people know their names. Um, you know, like if you ask the average person to name uh, a great, uh, you know, women's soccer player, I think they would have a harder time than a great women's tennis player just because women's tennis has been historically better supported than most other women's sports. I had a pretty good pull on Nancy Lopez, but I literally could not tell you another female golfer. Can, can you name a, a female tennis player besides Steffi Graf I just named? Or the, the plays Williams right sisters? now? Any, any, in any history, a famous, great women's tennis player. Yeah, of course. That I haven't already named. Uh, Billie Jean King, Chris Everett, um, Margaret Court. <sighs> yeah, well, you're digging deep. Yeah, I think you know. Well, yeah, you know I've, a lot seen, about I've seen the movie with, I've seen the movie Court, with, uh, with Emma Stone. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, so all I'm saying is that, like, not only is it rare for, you know, let's say, like, the best NBA player and the best WNBA player to get married, but it's also rare for the best WNBA player to be widely oh, sure. viewed as essentially being an equal to the best male player. Like if the sport gets enough respect, then it's like, yeah, but you're in the women's league. In tennis, obviously that exists and sexism exists, but the great women's champions get uh, deservedly more respect than they do in other sports, uh, you know, just because there is, there's, you know, again, slightly less inequity than tennis, right? So all mm-hmm. I'm saying is that Steffi Graf, you know, number one tennis player in the world for many years, clearly a dominant player of her era, an amazing athlete, right? And Andre Agassi, what I think is the, the most talented male tennis player to, to play in my lifetime, they get married. So just to like the, the, the shorter version of that, how often do you see two people that are almost unquestionably at the top of their field get married and then potentially have a kid? Right. And it is, you know, and so like they're, they got, you know, Andre Agassi is married before he married Brooke Shields um, and then they got divorced. And he also, he dated Barbara Streisand and said it was like wearing hot tar. <laughs> I don't know about that second part, but yeah, there was a Barbara Streisand thing going on. Um, but anyway, they, they married, they married for love. Like there, this is, this is a rare thing. It doesn't happen that often. Athletes tend not to marry each other top level pro athletes i can't think of another instance where two top level pro athletes maybe probably in like car racing or something it's happened but it's such a rarity and it's really seemed to be a love match and both of them really seemed to be at the point in life where they were ready to be married and they started a family and they had two kids and these kids have like won the genetic lottery in terms of tennis potential tennis talent now obviously it's not like you take two parents and you get a kid that is that has all the good things from both the parents you get a new person who is different than the parents in lots of interesting ways and you have no idea like why didn't all of andre agassi's brothers and sisters become great tennis players like obviously each individual person is their own unique formula so there's no guarantee that the child of andre agassi and steffi graf is going to be any good at sports whatsoever but yeah it seemed pretty good and that's mm-hmm. I kept referring to this as a super baby because, boy, if you had to if you had to choose, <laughs> like I would, you know, like uh, like Nazi Germany or the you know USSR to breed a super athlete to, to win the Olympics oh, or something, I see. you would take yeah. take our greatest athletes and make like them to, to have do, a child to do like athletic as animal husbandry, <laughs> right? Um, but again, this you know the two of them, this is a you know an, an actual real loving marriage, and they're just having a family. They just want to have kids, um, and. I'm like, boy, if they have if they have children when they get married, like if they have children someday, what is it going to be like to be that kid? Because if you think the pressure of like when one of your parents is like a famous actor and you you know maybe I should be an actor because my parents have all these connections and maybe I have the talent, 
But at least then usually your other parent isn't also a great actor. Although sometimes, what was it like a uh, Meg Ryan and was it a Ryan and a Quaid? Did they get yeah. married? And yeah, have an Randy kid? Quaid from Breaking Away and Meg Ryan, their sons on uh, The Boys. On The Boys. Yeah, follow him on go. Twitter. He's very charming. Yep. So that's so that's different. But a lot of the acting business is connections or whatever. But it doesn't really matter how many connections you have. If you if you want to be a professional tennis player, you have to actually be good enough to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say you see, you see it more in show business in, in particular in with movie movie stars or movie industry people like, you know, whatever, like Don Johnson and Melanie Griffiths or, you know, yeah. there's there's countless examples of this. I, yeah, not to diminish their talent, but a lot of it is who, you know, right. For yeah, I, I was watching the. um the uh, I, I liked it apparently better than most people, but the Halston uh, series on Netflix with uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, um, and um, he plays Halston, the fashion designer, who's one of his best friends is uh, Liza Minnelli, and you, you just see that like you know you always hear about this you know it's, it's a family that's had a lot of problems, but like imagine wanting to be a singer and Judy Garland. I mean, maybe it's a chicken and the egg thing. Maybe you can't help but be a singer because your mother's well, Judy Garland. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, some of it is surely the genetics. Some of it is the environment. And some of it has to be the pressure from everyone else in the world who's saying, oh, you're Meg Ryan and Randy Quaid's kid. I guess you're going to be an actor. Huh? Or the pressure to do something completely different. You yeah, know what well, I mean? That's, that's, the, that's the, the... Well, no, no, but I mean, like, that, you yeah. might want to be... Like, Don Jr. obviously just wants a hug from, from his father. <laughs> like, I mean, is he going to succeed in politics? I don't know. But like there are cases though where you know they say things skip a generation, you know the the hippie parents have the conservative kids, the mm-hmm. Alex P Keatons and stuff like that. But like you know I I I figure we're going to get to this, but I think it'd be fun to talk about like what are the conditions that encourage or discourage, uh, especially growing up, the background, what's tolerated, what's encouraged, what's funded, like all those kinds of things. I imagine have an impact on all kinds of success. See also grit. But it's interesting. So, 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 get to the uh, the nut graph. What's this kid? What's the deal with this kid? Well, so they have two kids. They have a son and a daughter. And you know, depressingly, I looked up how, how old are those kids now? Boy, they must be anything in elementary school. No, they're adults. Like, I mean, time time flies. Um, and and so I got to see. Well, what is their deal, right? And I think like I I've read a couple of I've read a lot about Andre Agassi, including his own autobiography that he wrote. And I've you know I've followed his career intently, so I feel like I have a read on his personality. Is that and, open? Yes, it's and it's a great called book. that because he won tennis tournaments called Open. I bet. Yeah, yeah well, it has, it has a double and triple meaning. Um, it's a mm. great book. I mean, obviously, it's way it's way more interesting if you're super into Andre Agassi and tennis. But even if you're <laughs> not, it's pretty good. You know, someone who's not a writer writing an autobiography. It's interesting yeah. anyway. Um, but anyway, his personality is such that I can imagine him having a kid who. All right. So let's do the reverse of it. Sometimes like, especially with actor kids, like that the kids, like the parents, you know, the parents are good parents. Like we're not going to pressure our kids to be anything. They could be anything they want to be. We're just going to be good supportive parents. No pressure to do, you know, you be you. Right. But mm-hmm. then if they are the type of people who are just generally sort of, you know, cheerful, good people and put a supportive environment, sometimes, you know, I feel like often it ends up that the kid does want to be an actor because a, they have a talent for it because surprise, both their parents are, are really great actors and B, they grow up in that environment where it's a thing that you do. And they're like, I would like to do that too. And their family's like, you know, no pressure, but if you want to do that, we'll support you. And by the way, I know some producers and you know, they end up entering the business. Whereas Agassi is a little bit more, uh, I'm going to say neurotic. Uh, I don't know. I'm using that word. Like I can relate to his, uh, a lot of his mental hangups, which is part of why I, I enjoyed following him as a player. And I can imagine him. I don't know what Steffi Groff's contribution to this is because I don't really know much about her personality and I haven't read too much about her. Um, but 
I can imagine uh, if any of his genes get into his kids of like them not being super gung ho to be like, uh, I'm going to do what my parents did. They're they're you know arguably some of the greatest tennis players that ever lived. Uh, I, maybe I should try tennis because tennis looks fun and we could all play tennis together as a family. Also, part of you read uh, Andre Agassi's book towards the end of his tennis career, he was very soured on tennis, the institution, and is not mm-hmm. the type of person who. Like, I just want to play tennis every day, even though I'm retired. Like that, That's kind what of... makes me think of, you know, again, I'm thinking of both examples. One in Hollywood might be, hey, you know, listen, your mom, I, I grew up in this business. And mm-hmm. believe me, this is not a job that you're going to do. I could see, for example, just knowing what Judy Garland went through as mm-hmm. a kid, I could see her very much saying, like, you know, if you want to direct movies like your dad, that's fine. But no, no, you're, you're not going to go take a bunch of speed and get yelled at all the time. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, that's revisiting your own trauma on your children because things do change in the industry. And and Agassi's experience in the tennis world is not necessarily the same as even his contemporaries, let alone modern players. Right. But but in general, it seems like uh, the the upshot is what it turned out for the kids is neither one of them uh, decided that they wanted to be a tennis player um, for whatever reason. And again, I imagine their parents you know, were just supportive and say, you do whatever you want to do. Also, by the way, kids were super rich. So you actually don't have to do anything. Um, but <laughs> whatever you want to do, uh, don't let the fact that your parents are super duper famous, amazing tennis players make anyone pressure you into being a tennis player. Uh, so they're not. Uh, and as, as far as I can tell in my brief Googling before the show, the best I could find, though, is... Uh, Agassi's son named Jaden Gill, uh, Gill named after uh, Gil Reyes, I'm assuming his uh, trainer and friend. Not sure where Jaden came from other than the list of popular baby names when he was born. I love those um, bell tones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is uh, as what's the date of the story? Um, he's 18 as of this story that I'm reading here. Yes, yeah, 2020. He was 18 in 2020 and he's into baseball. And his coaches say that he's really athletic. Surprise. <laughs> you know, you have, your two <laughs> parents are the t- were at the top of their game on the entire planet. Uh, surprise. You are a pretty athletic kid, but he's super into baseball. He, he uh, Of tennis, he said, I tried it once and wasn't into it. So he's kind of like reacting against, I don't want to do tennis. Tennis is something my parents did. And by the way, I can't imagine that the kids don't have a uh, both you know intellectual and also instinctive read on the fact that their dad feels kind of burned by the game of tennis tennis or burned out mm-hmm, by it mm-hmm. and you know so i can imagine and, you know steffi graf obviously is not pressuring against the into tennis either but he's super into baseball so that's the kids thing right and you he's got already adorable. had tommy john surgery yeah i mean that's not great that's not the great oh my that, god can you imagine? he's a pitcher right or at least at this point at this he article. doesn't even pick the position because he's good at everything but but i mean because <laughs> his parents know. are steffi graf and andre agassi <laughs> but man that's that's a pity. Somebody having that kind of I mean, I think Tommy John was mid-career when he got the titular surgery. Yeah. And and the the, the amazing thing about him is so Andre's a Andre's a small man. He's a he's not a very tall man, let's say. <laughs> uh but Steffi is tall for a woman. Uh, and it seems like the son got the tall genes from his mom. So it's nice for him. Um he looks like he looks like an Adonis, right? Uh yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just so cute seeing the pictures of them with their kids. Like I did some Googling for some creepy Googling for pictures of them with the kids on their lap when they were little and they're getting oh, older. I love and that. Yep. And the other, what's this other kid's name? Yeah. The uh, uh, jazz. jazz. Yeah. Jazz with jazz, one Z. Jazz L, I think. Right. Okay. That's, I'm going to have to say, and, uh, and uh, here's the, have to here's change that. Speaking, speaking of sexism. Okay. So they I'm like, okay, let's, zip. Let's, you get I, it? I did they the, you know, zip. I, Wouldn't that be funny? I did a Google zip. for like Jaden Gill Agassi. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, what's it what's he up to and i find the story about him being a baseball player and stuff like that so then i do a google innocently me being stupid i'm just going to google for jazz al agassi what do you think i find 
Um, uh, feet. Jazz L. Agassi. Bio age, height, single nationality, body type, pictures. It's all just the oh, creepiest really? stuff you could. All I did was type in a person's name because one person is a boy and one person is a girl. What are the who's who, maybe it thinks uh, that's what you want based on your history. Who like uh, if you want to know something about the boy of famous people, you probably want to know what he's doing. You want to know uh-huh. something about the girl child of famous people. You want pictures of her scantily clad. You want to know things mm-hmm. about her feet and her age and her weight. And it's just mm-hmm. the creepiest, most disgusting stuff ever. Yeah. And yeah. I just felt exhausted. And I could not figure out what Jazz Ella is up to other than being menaced by the Internet because she has the unfortunate, uh, you know, fate to be a woman uh, and attractive you're a little uh, bit of a child tonight. Of i don't know if you realize that that'd also be a great name uh, for somebody from krypton jazzel that's what i'm saying that's i read that i'm like they need, is that a superman reference i don't think either one of them's into superman but jazzel wow jazzel agassi is a terrible name john i think it's all right i mean i like okay. it better than let, me, let me ask you a question let me ask you a question uh this person has three names how many of those names could you just say and not have to spell i think you can get away with l and everyone knows Agassi. Um, hi, uh, hi. Uh, uh, you're ready to check in. What's your name? Um, Jazz L. Agassi. I bet she probably just says Jazz Agassi. And that makes it better. I think you're kind of avoiding a really important question I here. I think people just can because do Agassi. You're, listen, listen. You're wearing your pink hat tonight. You're full of beans, and you're going, you're going ham against uh, against John Hughes. And now <laughs> you're going to defend a name like Jazz L. Agassi. I like it better than Jaden. That's all I'm saying. Jaden. <laughs> got a jerry no, lewis name no offense Jaden. you're, you're probably an excellent baseball player so uh what what's the thesis here do we do we know. think do we think you get super babies i don't know because every time i think of an example i think of a think of a counter example mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and like i say the i mean the one of like i mean i don't this this uh, forgive me for just falling back on a million cliches but there's a reason something becomes a cliche. A lot of women in Hollywood uh, had a pretty tough life. And if they haven't had a tough life yet, they will. Although they probably had some of the toughest parts when they were younger for a variety of reasons. But everybody in Hollywood, it's, it's, it's so difficult to get any kind of work. I love Jason Manzukis, And I, I heard a, an interview with him today. Uh, I love that guy. And he was just talking about like, you know, going to LA for pilot season three different times and like not getting anything. It's like the amount of like wherewithal you have to have to stick with it in show business is nuts. And there's always somebody who will do more for less, for less everything than you. Um, so like you're lucky to just, you know, walk away with your life and your dignity in some ways. So I could see a lot of men and particularly women saying, hey, look, I did this. I don't want you to ever have to do this. The same way that somebody who comes from a modest background might want to say to their kids, you know, like, hey, you really, you need to go to school, you need to become a doctor, like, whatever. So I can see it both ways. I can see the ones where, like, you know, your grandfather was a cobbler, my father was a cobbler, everybody's a cobbler, so you're going to be a cobbler. But I could also just as often see somebody going, no way are you going to make shoes. Yeah, I, and that's, that's the interesting thing about uh, Andre and Steffi is that I, I feel like, again, I haven't read Steffi's autobiography, but I feel like her career was more conventionally successful. She she mm. was she worked hard at her game she became the best she stayed on top for a long time she was very competitive and you know there was, it was not filled with controversy or heartbreak or failed marriages or as far as i know um and so she just just basically just a succeeder all around so if you said say oh, i don't want my kids to get into tennis i can imagine her saying look yeah there were hard parts because hey i am a woman and women's tennis isn't as respected as it should be 
but in general, tennis was good to me. And if you're into tennis, go for it. And I can imagine Andre saying tennis chewed me up and spit me out. And my parents forced me to play tennis and I resent them for it. And, you know, he's got all sorts of issues about tennis. Right. And he would definitely be like, look, I'm never going to pressure you to play tennis because literally like that's the foundational, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the foundation upon which my life is built is my father forcing me to play tennis so that I'm never going to do that to you. In fact, I might not even mention the word tennis to you. And so the two of them are raising kids together. Uh, and it seems like the upshot of that was, you know, I, I, I do wonder how they navigated that because it's unavoidable that, you know, tennis was part of their life and the kids will eventually learn who their parents are and that can affect them. I mean, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, the, the, I could see that. I mean, you think about stuff like with, with, with religion and how you decide to raise a child. Like if you're from, you know, different spiritual backgrounds, I'm going to be that particular guy that you and I can be sometimes and pop straight to the materialist argument, which is that, I imagine they're both, I know they've been successful in their career. I imagine they're pretty comfortable from a financial standpoint. I mean, there is, and this is nothing, this is not no smack against zip or jazz, but like, it's also that you can, I mean, I think success for some kids, this is so generic. Success for most kids depends on what, what groundwork has been laid for them. You know, like what, what expectations are set or whatever those kinds of things are. Like, what can they depend on? What, what can they never depend on? That always, to me, strikes me as a pretty sane way to think about how people turn out. So, like, even if they aren't, like, doing the equivalent of a, of a Felicity Huffman here, they have a comfortable enough environment that, like, they don't, they maybe don't have to worry as much about forcing their kids into anything. And they could probably be pretty mellow about it, which is cool. But in any case, there are more options for options in a comfortable household. So maybe these kids were just able to find their way in. But, you know, really that's, I mean, that's always the thumb on the scales for success inside of a family is, you know, sort of the resources and the, I don't know. And it sounds like sour grapes and I don't mean it that way, but like, I, I think it's cool when people can create a set of conditions where their kids get to have a comfortable life. I mean, in some ways that's such a part of the pity about the stuff with Mia Farrow is like from those, from that documentary anyway, it seems like, you know, their family had such a nice life, you know, and then what's his name comes along and really upsets the apple cart and was not interested in family stuff at all. When clearly family things meant the entire world to her. And then that got all bollocksed up. I could very much see Mia Farrow saying to one of her kids, I'd really prefer you not go into movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the, uh, the, what you just said about the, you know, the comfort of the parents like that, that perfectly fits into uh, Agassiz's journey because his parents, I think his both or one or both were immigrants and didn't have a lot of money. And so when they suddenly have a kid, who's got this amazing tennis talent, like that's their, you know, they're going to, yeah, the, the part of the ticket, pressure kid. was you like, gotta, you gotta do it. you're going to succeed. You're going to, you know, you're going to be like the same thing. You know, if you're, if you're making, making your kids go to college when you're first generation immigrants, like you're going to succeed yes. where we didn't, like we're doing this for you. And so therefore you must. Um, and then that pressure is not there when your parents are both multi gazillionaires and super famous. And it's like, oh, just do whatever you want. Right. But I, the, the other one I think about, and this is going to sound mean, but like it's, it's an impossible situation uh bob dylan right yeah. uh if your dad is bob dylan and it turns out that you are into music like there's no there's no happy not no happy ending but there's no way for you to fulfill those kind of expectations because you're not going to be bob dylan bob dylan is bob dylan and you are not going to be nor are you going to be someone as important as bob dylan uh, a lot of averages you may be a great musician and have some good songs but like no you're you're screwed i mean you it's and well, you and there are there are endless numbers of cases like, like the Dumas 
you know, father and son, or there's, I just feel like there's so many examples of people where there's like a, a parent and a, and a child. Okay. How about Joe Hill? Like, um, who calls himself Joe Hill for a reason. And that's yeah, exactly, the reason is, right. I think is that he does not want you to know that he's Stephen King's kid or mm-hmm. does not want to try to like even appear to bank on that. But like locking keys really good. Yeah. But his no, dad's and- Stephen King. Well, here, here's the thing about uh, Joe Hill. Like, I totally respect the name thing, but like, the thing is, a Joe Hill is a talented writer, right? And B, he writes so much like his father. <laughs> oh man! Which, like, I don't blame him for that. Like, he, I'm sure he comes by that naturally. But Lock and Key is so Stephen King in the best possible way. I'm a huge Stephen King fan. He's my favorite yep. author, and Lock and Key is right up there. With the best of the best Stephen King. Now, obviously, it's a different media. It's not a it's novel. Also beautifully, it's, it's a comic. Uh, beautifully drawn. Right. And that's that's a, the part of the thing of comics is the person who writes it may not be the person who draws it. And you got all this other stuff. Like, it's, it is its own thing. But it is unassailably, I, I say, great Stephen King. But it's not Stephen King. Stephen King's son. But, like, that, I feel like, is the is probably the best possible outcome. It's like, okay, Joe Hill, you're not going to be Stephen King. But you're going to make great things. And also, by the way... This is, you know, for, this is unfair to for people to expect this, but many people will expect, oh, you can make great things, but they're not like your dad's things. Well, it turns out you actually make great things, some of which are like your dad's things and are right up there with the best of your dad things. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much the best you can hope for. No one is going to, Joe Hill is not going to be, you know, the best selling author that Stephen King was, but this is the best case scenario. I'm trying to look up who Dylan's son was, but he had that one, didn't he, he have the one hit song? He has two that are, uh, two sons that are famous. Uh, one's the Wallflowers guy and the other yes. one is... One's Jacob and the other one is Marley, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, he's got the, the one headlight guy. That's the guy I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, uh, right? yeah. But there's another one too. There's like a filmmaker or something. Right. right. And so those those were good songs and they're talented musicians, but neither one of them are ever going to be Bob Dylan. And on top of that, they're also not musicians in the same way that Bob Dylan was, which again, which is a tall order, right? Because he was, you know, kind of uh not not cut from the same mold as even his contemporaries, let alone his kids. And that's why it's such a miracle that Joe Hill is out there writing stuff that is very much like the best of his dad's stuff separated by an entire generation right Right. think about julian lennon whenever uh his first record came out um probably what 85 or 86 or something like that and like it was just uh, i don't know i mean you know it's it must be weird to be john lennon's other son to begin Mm -hmm. with because like Sean is the one, like John wrote a song about him on Double Fantasy. And everybody knows Sean from the time, you know, after with the working class hero uh, shirt and everything. And and because that was his, when John Lennon became a slightly less terrible person and, you know, uh, did sort of mend his ways and wanted to be a great dad. And apparently he was a great dad, as far as we can tell. Anyway, but like, it must have been so weird to be Julian Lennon, who, and again, this sucks. He looks so much like his dad especially when he was like a teenager, he looks so much like John Lennon as a teenager, like in the Quarrymen days. And it's like, uh, okay, that's, that's a lot to have to carry around all the time. And then, then he puts out his record and you just, can you just imagine on the, on junkets, like how many times he just had to sit through people asking him questions about John Lennon, like how you feel like, you know, he died. How close mm-hmm. were you? How do you feel about this? He gets to relive that over and over. And he's like, I just want to talk about this record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The whole reason you, not the whole reason, but I imagine one part of that is like, oh, it's really nice. It's nice that, you know, y'all know my dad and think he's cool. That's nice. But like, I'm not here on like a nostalgia tour. And when people do do that and people do do that, it's kind of weird and gross where you can feel people like sort of doing the the cash in on your parents tour. 
uh, of stuff. But I don't think he was like that. I think if anything, he was trying to sort of push back against that. I feel yeah, like I, I think that the uh, a lot of the uh, Hollywood uh, celebrity couples have done uh, a pretty amazing job of navigating that. Um, like, for example, people not knowing that that guy from The Boys is the son of those two super famous people. Right, or the lady from the uh, the spanking movie. Um, like, I, I, I didn't know that she was Melanie Griffiths' daughter. Right. I mean, part of that is, you know, the whole Hollywood name changing, getting your, you know, your yes. stage name and stuff like that. But uh, also, you know, it helps, I think, with the parents being having having successful careers that didn't destroy them. Like, thinking again about Judy Garland, like, it's a tougher situation when not only was your parent chewed up by the industry, but also was so damaged by it that they are you know, they have difficulty ongoing difficulty with life, whether it's substance abuse or just tra- trauma that is visited upon the children because you know, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, absolutely makes it so much worse than if you're if your parents are just two nice, super famous, talented actors who somehow give you a career or help give you a career in acting not riding on their coattails at all. Because again, none of us knew we're watching the boys. Okay, here's this guy in the boys. Okay, we're enjoying him. We have no idea who he is. We have no idea who his parents are. Again, he's probably I told, in there. I totally did. I did not even put the name together. Yeah. And like, don't, you, may, don't you, you ever got to be, be there Billy because Joel. of his parents' connections partially. But that's true of everybody who's in Hollywood. Like, it's not just, am I a talented actor? It's also like, right place, right time, who you know. It's just that these people have a bit of a leg up because their parents know. But, you know, in the end, they have to do the job. And I think he is a good actor and does a good job in his roles. Yeah, right? I totally agree. And I and like and for the lens, though, like, can you imagine, uh, for example, uh, or even Steffi Graf and Agassiz's kid, can you imagine them going into tennis and not having to field the questions about the parents? Everyone would know who their parents are. The idea that they would be that they would be in a tennis tournament and we would learn like years later. Oh, did you realize the person who won the U.S. Open? That's Steffi Graf and Andres. We would never have that conversation. Everyone would know it from the second they stepped onto the court. Right. Yeah. yeah. And somehow actors are able to pull that off. They're able to have their kids go out into the industry and not have 100 percent of the story be, oh, who are your famous parents? Now, again, I'm sure people who read People magazine know who the parents of all these people are. But just for, you know, like it's impossible for John Lennon's kid to put out a record and not have that experience you described. Well, and I mean, I, I would not begrudge him if there was some element of like, well, I'm not going to change my last name. I, I would feel the same way. But for anybody who feels like this is an unsympathetic point of view, let me ask you this. How about if you were on your way to hopefully achieving one of the greatest things of your life and every single interview was just questions about your parents? Like, I yeah, would hate it. You're, I would you're hate dead it. parents. <laughs> yes. You're, you're, well, and let's take it to another level. It's bad enough. Like, imagine, yeah, I, I would not be into that for my civilian parents. But like for your dead celebrity more talented than you, theoretically, <laughs> parents. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Appreciate the time. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that also gets into like, you know, child actors and people, you know, it's, it's athletes too. Like part of the reason tennis chews up so many people is... It is essentially impossible to be a professional tennis player and not also be a child professional tennis player because you have to start like gymnastics or something. It's not as bad as gymnastics, but if you're going to be a professional tennis player, you can't decide to pick it up when you're 17. <laughs> like you really, mm-hmm. it really That's needs to be That's why I said to my thing wife that she should, really should not be trying to break dance this late in life. Well, you know, like this, I, I this there, I feel like there are age she might be a prodigy. So, you're like geriatric break dancing. I mean, you don't want to say that, but like, I remember the first time we heard that term in a clinical setting. It's like setting. water aerobics. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I, I don't know if, if you experienced this. Uh, I never heard like, the phrase geriatric breakdancing. Uh, no, geriatric pregnancy. Did you hear the phrase geriatric pregnancy at any point? No. Are you talking about Naomi Campbell? Uh, no. Like, so when, uh, I don't remember which kid, I guess it was probably our second, but like, 
or being in the the doctor's office and say, okay, well, since you have a geriatric pregnancy, X, oh, Y, and Z. Oh, no, like, they said that like it's normal? Geriatric pregnancy, what does that mean? They said, oh, it's you're pregnant at any time after 35 it's, I'm sure it's old. a term of art. Ger- just no, it's ge- a medical geriatric- term. I mean, again, yeah, if, meaning, if you're- Meaning if you're, older than the, like, more more physically mature than uh, the typical No, it's, it's if you have a pregnancy and you're over 35 years old. Over well, that's 35 is, That's a geriatric pregnancy. I'm I sure get that it. That's what I'm created. saying. We're agreeing. I'm just saying it's a gross. That's that's I'm a really sure gross that term thing to was say. Created when the when the average age of pregnancy was like 18 or something. And you the, can't make the, a lot of things better just by slapping. You know, oh, you have geriatric. Ob- you have geriatric obesity. Right. In, in 1904, maybe <laughs> someone having a child at 35. That's your geriatric pregnancy because you had 18 kids before then. I, I would. I my mom got pregnant with me at 30, and they were like, "You've got to be kidding me! Nobody has their first child at 30. That's nuts." Well, because they thought it was too late or too early. Yeah, she'd had miscarriages and like, no, no, too, too late. Oh my God. No. Oh, you're talking about your mom? My mom, I'm sorry, my mom. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. But at least it wasn't a geriatric pregnancy. 